Hello and welcome to the Attribution Marketing Podcast, where we help businesses, brands, and entrepreneurs get more out of their marketing and advertising spend. On today's episode, we have Pete Housley, the CMO of Unbounce, and Pete is going to help us understand exactly how marketers and businesses can thrive in a downturn economy or even a recession. So Pete, thank you so much for being on the show. How are you? I'm great, Lucas, and thanks for inviting me to come on the show today. I've actually been following you for a while, and I'm a, a huge fan, and I'm learning from your podcasts and your channel, and I'm looking forward to our chat today. All right, great. Well, we always like to try to just start out with that career arc. So just tell us, you know, you now you're on a podcast about uh, marketing during a downturn. How did you get into this position? Tell us about your career and kind of what led you to this point. Well, I've had a pretty amazing uh, and I would say lucky uh, career uh, molded and trained uh, in classic marketing at uh, Procter & Gamble. Uh, for a while, I was CMO of two of the biggest uh, department store uh, chains in Canada and about 15 or maybe almost 20 years ago, I took a turn into the digital marketing arena uh, and actually was chief executive officer of one of the first internet dating sites called Lava Life. Uh, and we became uh, number one in Canada, number one in New York City and top 10 in the world, uh, launching in parallel with Match.com. So that was pretty fun. Uh, and then in more recent years, I've actually been chief revenue officer at a company called Indochino, uh, which started as a digital pure play uh, for men's made-to-measure suits uh, and then evolved into almost 100 bricks-and-mortar retail outlets. But we grew that business from roughly $14 million to well over $100 million in about four years. Uh, during all of that time, really, I made a study of full funnel marketing, of digital marketing, of attribution, and those really guide me today. Uh, Unbounce was certainly a super interesting opportunity. Obviously, landing pages are part of a digital marketer's uh, toolkit. Uh, recently, Unbounce uh, acquired a very cool company called Leads RX. Uh, a multi-touch attribution uh, software solution, which is uh, incredibly uh, interesting and powerful. And so with all that in mind, I'm pretty happy to be at Unbounce in a time when digital marketers hopefully need us most. I love that. And uh, it's been a while since I've heard uh, the name Lava Life, but man, uh, you know, it's, it's a, uh... It's been quite a history, quite an evolution in, in all things digital. And I think you bring a great perspective because you've, you've come from the physical world. Uh, you've got the background in digital and you're bringing all these things together and, and sharing it with the audience. So tell us just a little bit more about how maybe that digital side brought you maybe different or unique data um, and how data has really impacted uh, the whole marketing landscape, at least as it pertains to your career. Well, such a good segue. It's interesting when you mentioned Lava Life just there, we used to call that the wild, wild web. 
in the first days of PPC advertising. And we didn't necessarily do performance media. We didn't necessarily pay-per-click or, you know, rev shares to acquired customers and so on. We used to buy real estate. So literally, I would go to Microsoft.ca and buy their homepage for a year, a tile. Or we would go to the portals and power love at AOL and, and own that as a channel. And it was really just a flat rate. And obviously, uh, since the internet came along, I don't know how long ago it is now, 25 years, uh, the sophistication on digital marketing and PPC advertising has just grown and grown. And I would say I started my career as a brand marketer. I love brand. I love the DNA of a brand. I love cracking a brand strategy. And I love big ideas to bring a brand to life. But today, in a marketer's toolkit, you need the science behind performance media and really understand almost from a bottom-up planning perspective of what each marketing channel, online and offline, is doing toward, you know, for your customer acquisition uh, and your customer retention. So I think those toolkits uh, are pretty important. Uh, about four or five years ago, I did a, a speech, which everybody loved, and I called that speech, How Data Saved My Life. And I gave a few war stories about like some CEO that would be beating me up in a meeting. And I would say, excuse me, I've got all the data here and you're just wrong. And here it is. <laughs> and uh, I gained a lot of credibility uh, with that in mind. And so today, I try to be armed with facts and data uh, to support any marketing initiatives or any conclusions that I would draw otherwise. Yeah, they say when all else fails, bring data, right? Right. There you go. So look, I think in all that history, uh, you must have seen a couple ups and downs in the market and not just the marketing universe, but I mean the economy and and uh, the state of affairs as a whole. So talk us through some of the uh, you know, learnings that you've had during an economic downturn and how that climate sort of affects marketers because maybe we're heading into one of those now. So talk us through your experience Absolutely. in those uh, situations. Go ahead. It was interesting. One of the uh, gigs that I had uh, was I was president of a restaurant chain in Canada, casual fine dining, uh, about 33 restaurants, $150 million business. And that was in the recession at about 2008. And we were in the premium category and sales and guests just really slowed down. And there was a number of things uh, that we did to try to mitigate it. But I would say generally in an economic climate like the one that we're going into, my top recommendation would simply be to batten down the hatches. In recessions, companies slash ad budgets. You do see exceptions of the world. You'll see, oh, Procter & Gamble increased their investment during the recession and they gained market share. But for most companies, uh, when sales are sluggish, they don't necessarily have that luxury to spend up uh, in recessionary time. 
And I would say that when businesses start to see declines, you know, in sales and in revenue, and they cut expenses, some companies do layoffs, some companies reassess their real estate holdings and strategy. They look at their future investments, but been in marketing for 30 years. I can tell you that the executive team always comes to me first on my ad budgets to uh, slash them because they are considered discretionary in uh, many companies. Now, you know, I think that that makes sense that advertising or maybe some of that splashy brand advertising might be discretionary. But do you think that all ads, you know, all advertising spend falls under that same bucket or are there some exceptions to the rule? I know you mentioned Procter & Gamble, but is there some maybe channels or components of a marketing campaign that should persist or or maybe even get a little support uh, in this type of environment or is everything on the chopping block? Here's where we go into the area of multi-touch attribution, analytics, and really understanding what the performance media is doing. If a marketer is running five or six channels and they understand what that channel is doing on a you know, proven basis and whether they're optimizing to a cost per acquisition, a cost per sale, a cost per lead, whatever that marketing goal is, if that channel is staying efficient, then by all means, don't cut it. Generally speaking, in e-com worlds and in many broader worlds than that, uh, marketers and companies look at a traditional lifetime value of a customer over the acquired cost of that customer. I like to look at the lifetime value at gross margin uh, over the cost of acquisition. And generally speaking, if you can get a three to one ratio, lifetime value at margin over cost of acquisition, then every single customer you're getting is actually profitable and probably even in the first year. So with that in mind, what we try to do is maintain our profitable channels and cut our less ones. And generally speaking, when you're running five channels or six channels or eight channels, you're always going to see the channels and within the channels, the campaigns that are the highest performing. So what I would do if I was cutting budgets, I would start with the lowest performing channels or possibly the channels that are most difficult to attribute. So let's say, for example, someone's running display prospecting or they're running prospecting on paid social. And there's an impression share out there, which is going to be very, very difficult to attribute. And you might know it's working and you might be able to run correlations on, on impressions to uh, you know, conversions a month or two later. But generally, I would go to the least proven areas if I needed to cut, if that answers your question. Want to rely on anecdote or a hunch uh, when times get tough. If, if you can find that, you know, one plus one equals three, you know, like you mentioned, you might want to run with those programs as opposed to not being able to uh, accurately answer that question or, or really have some visibility, you know, into the true results. 
I did want to unpack your your metric here because I haven't heard that uh, from a guest previously, which is this li- uh, lifetime value of the customer, the gross margin of it over the acquisition cost. Do you think that that is uh, a better, a more holistic way to look at this as opposed to what, let's say, Google and Facebook is going to surface to you with just a, a very vanilla return on ad spend? Um, just talk us through how you might use that more advanced metric as opposed to that kind of surface level metric that the ad networks are going to give you uh, right away. Well, if I think about uh, planning a company P&L and creating a business plan, uh, I generally want to scale a business with media. Uh, and when I use the media, I'm basically using that as a metaphor, as a bucket for both the content uh, and the media, paid media investment behind it. And if we can prove fully loaded that marketing is profitable at obtaining customers, then there would be no reason to hold back on that marketing investment. And so generally speaking, we would want to fully load the cost of marketing. So you take the cost of your uh, people, the cost of the software that you're running, the sales forces, the, you know, your email service provider, other marketing and ad tech, uh, your paid media, and then you have your total cost of marketing. Then you look at the lifetime value of the customers that, that, you, that you're getting uh, and you divide that so that you get a individual LTV to CAC ratio. Uh, and I would suggest, Lucas, that is pretty much industry best practice. Okay. Well, thanks for dropping that knowledge. You I think that's a... whether people use it at gross margin or just a, a real uh, lifetime value on revenue. But uh... fair enough. Okay. Let's let's transition here a little bit because there's an elephant in the room these days, which we uh, call inflation. So, you know, from my side, um, I've definitely seen the cost for ads uh, go through the roof. Um, definitely with the pandemic, a lot of people ratcheted back uh, physical marketing spend or traditional, let's say, and bid up uh, digital spend. And I think you've just seen sort of a deterioration in uh, the efficiency of some of those channels. You layer on top of that the privacy changes coming from Apple, Google, and things like that. It's just getting a little bit tougher on digital. And so I'm wondering, uh, in your in your mind, how is inflation really impacting or disrupting that digital or traditional marketing strategy? Uh, and, you know, same question as it relates to supply chain, because there's um, all these things factor in. Can you get the goods on time? What are you paying and shipping to get the goods here? It, it makes its way into that gross margin calculation. And so I'm wondering uh, how you would handle that from a marketer's perspective. It, it's interesting, Lucas. There's, there's so much complexity today that a marketer you, you know, is faced with. And just on the notion of inflation alone, there's the supply side in terms of how much is my media going to cost going forward? And am I going to have to bear higher CPCs and media costs? And then there's the demand side on the customer side of things in terms of, will my business slow down? So if my media costs go way up 
and my customers go down, it really becomes uh, a difficult problem. And, you know, if we, if we just characterize the last couple of years, um, we've had and still have COVID. Uh, we have the threat of a real recession. And we've just heard in North America that the month of June was a, a 9% uh, inflation rate. That looks like it's not slowing down. We've seen crazy supply chain issues you know, resulting from transportation challenges or issues uh, in China, we've seen heat waves and, you know, natural disasters. We had flooding in Canada and grocery stores couldn't get trucks to big cities. So a very, very complicated matrix for uh, marketers to work through. And I think with that in mind, marketers, we just need to stay nimble. Right. We've got to we've got to be able to handle these curveballs and think through uh, problem solving and uh, scenario planning. So I don't know if that answers your question, but my um, hunch is just stay nimble. Well, I think that's it's a fair point. And with digital, uh, for the most part, and even some of these uh, streaming channels and OTT and things like that, they allow you to be nimble. And I think that's one of the you know, biggest innovations and benefits to everything digital um, and using tools like Unbounce and, and Leads RX to track it, getting that data in is is going to help you answer that question to make sure that things actually are efficient. So fair point. I think I, mean, look, uh, I just uh, I just spent uh, an hour this morning with one of my lead uh, analysts and we were working on updating our forecasting model and the forecasting model I use is the bottom up approach where Basically, we look at the uh, the conversions or the customers that we're going to get at organic and direct channels, and then we look at all the paid uh, channels, uh, and we build a bottom-up plan. We just added a new input to the model this morning called recession. So I have a toggle in the planning model where I can build in a percent throttle on the total business of you know, 5%, 6%, 10%. Uh, and it flows through all the inputs and it reprojects my next year ahead based on the latest input that I have. So that allows me to do interesting scenario uh, planning. And then we can go into each month to determine whether or not uh, that toggle was a good one or not. But I, it's definitely going to help me think through um, some of the decisions we have to make. Fair point. So. Talk us through a little bit because, you know, not all businesses uh, are going to weather this storm the, the same. You know, you mentioned some of these uh, bigger health healthcare companies like like a proctor. Uh, they're going to have a completely different approach to someone like, say, I don't know, Peloton, uh, yeah. who's some, selling something that's incredibly discretionary. So what walk us through the differences between, let's say, something at the enterprise level, really big publicly traded company um, versus maybe a small to medium sized business. And, and how they might approach this circumstance differently. Yeah, I mean, certainly on common sense, you would think that the enterprise corporations, as we know them, are going to have deeper pockets and bigger coffers 
to be able to weather a storm. So even if they're hit by a recession, their share price will be affected. Uh, their profits would be affected, but they can weather the storm. Smaller uh, businesses may or may not be able to weather a storm if they actually ran into cash flow challenges or big, uh, long um, downturns. So my hunch would be that for the SMBs of the world, uh, we use that you know quite broadly, uh, they would need to have a conservative approach to planning and really think through scenarios and manage to preserving uh, cash flow and you know preserving their business. So that might mean forecasting lower and overachieving that forecast just so that you know what that lower forecast might look like in terms of your, you know, your total business and of course uh, your, your marketing spend. I'm sure there are lots of businesses in SMBs that are going to do well in a recession. And funny, I was just reading this morning about categories uh, that do well in a recession and one of them is alcohol. So for all the uh, the mom and pop uh, alcohol stores across uh, North America, maybe they're going to have a really good run in the next uh, year or two. So if I hear you correctly, right, batten down the hatches, slash the budgets, buy alcohol. <laughs> Just could, you, you, you could do work. But no, I mean, I, I, I think, Lucas, we, we want to have a very pragmatic and a common sense to business planning and marketing planning. And I certainly wouldn't be doing things that would be frivolous that I might do in a booming economy, right? So I think my frivolous days for now uh, are going to be muted a little bit. Fair point. I think that's a nice segue here. So, you know, uh, frivolous is a is a strong word to represent maybe some of that unnecessary marketing spending or the launch party um, or the influencer marketing or things like that, some of those vanity metrics. But Walk us through some of your recommendations uh, for marketing teams that are trying to get the most out of their spend or the most out of their effort in this environment. I used to hear a, a funny quote, and I don't know who coined it, but I know that 50% of my marketing budget is working. I just don't know which 50%. And I think that's pretty true of all of us as we're running multi-channel marketing, right? We have you know, big advertisers, we run broadcast uh, TV and radio. Now we have connected TV, which is going to be a lot more attributable. Uh, and we're going to run our digital channels and maybe we'll run some direct mail and things. And it's always difficult to know on incrementality, which channel is driving the most upside for you. But I think the answer to your question in terms of recommendations is number one, uh, be smart and data focused. Uh, if you're not running a multi-touch attribution solution, marketers, you should. Uh, and coincidentally, uh, LeadsRx happens to be uh, an incredibly powerful tool, uh, super easy uh, to install and very quickly uh, marketers are going to see the journeys and the touch points 
uh, towards a successful uh, customer uh, or sale gained. Um, when you have an attribution solution, even if you're using Google Analytics as a last uh, touch model, I would suggest cut your lowest performing campaigns um, and channels. And generally, uh, Lucas, with anybody running paid media for me, I go through the pain and suffering of reviewing it at a campaign level, even if I'm running 40, 50, or 100 campaigns, uh, so that we really do uh, cut uh, the lowest performing um, activity. I'm a big fan of transactional marketing, and that's really comes from a, a world of uh, a direct response uh, advertising mentality where we're using strong calls to action and the offer uh, or the value proposition is in the headline. And we use tactics like limited time and scarce quantities and, you know, buy now uh, to try to get a little more performance um, out of your uh, marketing. Uh, we've just launched a campaign today at Unbounce, which is a marketer's uh, survival guide, you know, toolkit for a recession. And, uh, you know, as CMO of Unbounce, I would be remiss uh, if we didn't remind marketers uh, that landing pages are an excellent device uh, between um, the customer uh, and your website to really clarify um, the offer, the value proposition, uh, the campaign. Um, within landing pages, marketers should be running landing page variants. Uh, just like we run A-B testing on our email campaigns and, and on our you know, UX improvements on our websites, uh, so should you on landing pages. Um, and there are a number of tools out there for A-B testing. Uh, we've got a, a tool called Smart Traffic, uh, which directs audiences uh, to the highest performing uh, content. So you could, for example, create five landing page variants uh, and the Smart Traffic uh, artificial intelligence is going to look at your browser and your device and where you are. And it's going to very quickly start to optimize um, traffic. And then for those of you that have not used an AI copywriting tool lately, it's amazing in terms of how quickly you can run, you know, powerful uh, options uh, to your copy and do these uh, variants. And we've also got uh, a product called Smart Copy, uh, which is an AI copywriting tool. So those are just a few things. I think to recap, be data focused, use multi-touch attribution, uh, cut your lowest performing campaigns uh, and use landing pages. So well said, and I, I wanted to highlight, you know, I, I have uh, always been familiar with the Unbounce. I really think you guys are one of the first low code, no code, you know, builder uh, that's going to allow people to really improve their conversions. And, you know, I think with these tools, you guys are taking an even greater uh, leadership role. Um, what I wanted to kind of find out is you, know, you had mentioned a lot of times, you know, transactional marketing, measuring the data. It's hard to maybe get impression uh, based metrics and figure that stuff out. And so I really just want to hone in on basically these two camps. You have brand building and you have promotional 
you know, when I hear you talk about transactional marketing, to me, that falls into that promotional bucket. My question to you is sort of what what's the role in in an environment like this for brand building? We've had other guests in the past talk about, you know, um, if you want, uh, what was the quote that they said? They said, you have to be known before you're needed, was one of the quotes from uh, a previous guest. And so I think the brand building uh, and the traditional methods and just raising awareness, you know, might be something that you would do when, when we're in a bull market and things are expanding. Um, but it might be time to to tighten up and focus more on the promotional, the transactional side, like you've been mentioning. So I just wanted to hear how you might weigh those two during an environment like this and what the right strategy would be in your opinion. Definitely, as I have evolved over the years, uh, my newest thinking would be that we lead with brand and brand is present in anything we do. Any ad, any post, any uh, email, uh, but the persuasiveness component in terms of advertising should be there. So it's a, it's a little bit of marrying those two worlds. So even if I'm doing uh, something transactional and offer-based, it would have a very, very on-brand, on-point message. Uh, you know, example of that would be at Indochino, we, you know, sold Ben's made to measure suits and they were around $399. Uh, and so that price point was so compelling to the value proposition for what you might expect to pay a thousand dollars for. So even though it was transactional by running advertising with price point, by virtue of the models and the style and the fashionability, it was very, very on brand. And we built this enormously powerful brand. Um, we also then were able to get celebrities and NFL players and NBA players uh, to uh, endorse the brand and even uh, feature collections at a, at a price point. So I do think there's an opportunity um, to marry those two years ago, you know, in advertising, uh, we used to think about product advertising and promotional advertising. And I think the, um, the sort of the cleanest expression of that was in automotive advertising. You would see these beautiful automotive, you know, ads for a new car. And then in another commercial, you would see like the dealer advertising, like, we don't want your money. Like we're slashing prices. It's, you know, financing available to you. And I think today we can marry uh, those worlds together and be both brand uh, and promotional or transactional at the same time. I like that. I wasn't expecting uh, you to take it there, but it, it does make sense. It's like, instead of picking between one or the other, you're, hey, let's try to find a way to do both maintain the brand, keep that top of mind, but also, you know, you're pushing for an action from that consumer and, and that's really what's going to move the needle and, and sustain the business. So that makes sense. So I, I think we've chopped up a lot of these topics here, but I wanted to just get into the channel uh, level now and, and just try to ask you your thoughts on what channels are best suited for this market downturn. Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm assuming, Lucas, that every category or business or marketer 
has certain channels that really are the best channels for them. So, for example, at uh, Indochino Podcast, believe it or not, was our top performing channel. And we ran, over the course of three years, 140 podcasters. It was the lowest CPA channel uh, by far. It reached a very specific male audience that we were looking for by virtue of the programming uh, that we were buying and and so on. So, you know, back to the attribution, I would say we start with what channels are, you know, work, working the best. Typically for me, uh, it starts with non-branded search. So who has intent for my category and what are they looking for? So let's use an example like mattresses, right? Nobody's shopping for a mattress until they need a mattress, at which point they do a non-branded search for mattresses, mattress sales, good mattresses, and so on. And right. at that point, we have an in-market buyer looking for a mattress. Uh, and this is where the marketers now need to show up on, you know, their branded, uh, non-branded um, search terms. Uh, so I'm a big fan of non-branded search. Something I think is interesting and of great debate is branded search. Do you buy your own branded keyword or is that part of the journey? So someone is aware of Unbounce. They don't really know my URL or how to spell Unbounce, so they do a branded search. Uh, they're probably already going to be committed uh, to following through and do I serve up a paid result for them? And I would say that in a competitive environment and if sales are down, your competitors could be buying uh, your branded keywords and could have pretty compelling battle cards that come up against you. Uh, so I would, I would encourage advertisers to really understand the role of uh, branded search, what it's doing um, and, and what it's uh, not doing. Lucas, I'm a, big fan of getting new traffic to my website, attempting to put a pixel, you know, on that and use retargeting mechanisms. And I think you talked earlier about, you know, privacy laws and what the big guys are doing and safaris of the world, um, you know, to inhibit us to be able to retarget uh, customers. But certainly retargeting, if you can do it, is very effective um, at building uh, awareness quickly for someone who has some degree of interest in uh, your category. And of course, as we think about how to save money and how to, you know, track these journeys, uh, I'm a huge fan of lead capture and path to conversion uh, marketing. So we see marketers, um, you know, in the SaaS space, download a white paper or a knowledge piece, surrender your email address, and then we can do some type of sequential retargeting uh, on, you know, what I would call an owned uh, media. Uh, but I do believe if you can get or marketers can get qualified leads, uh, that path to conversion marketing is an excellent way to go and a lower cost avenue uh, than um, PPC. Uh, I'm a huge fan of TV and radio when it works. 
Uh, and so for advertisers that are large enough and when they tap out of efficiencies in the digital channels, uh, very often crossing that chasm into uh, the broadcast world uh, could be very, very powerful. And, and, and you know, I think you need to be a relatively large advertiser uh, for that. Um, but there are certain mediums like radio where you can build frequency very, very fast uh, against a tactic like a, a sale, for example. So, um, you know, for years in department stores, if we wanted to run a weekend event, it's Memorial Day weekend, for example, we could go heavy into, you know, midweek radio to drive a weekend uh, event. And so once again, I think, you know, marketing channels, uh, you just got to understand uh, what role they're playing on your business and where you are in the downturn and um, adjust accordingly. Let's say, how do you know when the metrics are, are changing and now is the time to, to step up instead of step back? Yeah, I um, personally, I watch my business with daily cadence. I look every morning when I wake up, I look at yesterday's sales. And uh, every week I'm reviewing my marketing channels and my forecasts accordingly. So we or me, I would feel it right away if business starts uh, to pick up uh, and scale it uh, accordingly. The moment I see campaigns or regions or businesses pick up, we do try to chase that uh, in a positive way uh, and, 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 and grow with so watch it is all I have to say there. Keep a keep your finger on the pulse, it sounds like. Indeed. So for all the folks that are on the episode listening, uh, give us a plug. Where can we find out more about you or Unbounce or Leads RX? I know you mentioned that uh, survival kit, but uh, how do we get that? All right. Well, uh, for uh, all things multi-touch attribution and marketers, I think you need to improve your toolkits. Uh, go to leadsrx.com and uh, you'll be able to uh, give us your email, Addy, and we will start to give you some uh, great uh, intel on the world of marketing attribution. Uh, and we'd be happy to schedule a demo with you and your team. Uh, similarly, uh, for landing pages, uh, come to unbounce.com. Uh, uh, we've got a pretty fun and engaging uh, website and you can start to learn about landing pages and we'd be happy to give you a free trial uh, for that. It's interesting, Lucas, in terms of where you can find me, I I probably keep a relatively uh, lower profile than I should. And when I saw um, this question that you sent me, I was thinking maybe I start to I should start to publish at least on LinkedIn. Uh, once in a while, a few uh, knowledge pieces of things uh, that I'm thinking of. As a marketer, I, I generally like to get on the speaking circuit, and I've not been on the speaking circuit since COVID. Uh, and I'm a firm believer that uh, marketing companies uh, and CEOs and you know business leads that are interesting and companies that are interesting uh, can really benefit from getting out into uh, conferences uh, of the world. So I may uh, activate that in the, in the next year. 
Well, thank you so much, Pete, for being on the show. You heard it here first, guys. If you are looking for any information about how to improve your conversion rates, definitely head over to unbounce.com. And we are going to put the link to that survival kit in the description for this episode. So wherever you are consuming this content, go ahead and seek out that link and you can go grab that toolkit. If you are somebody who has a very complicated or uh, a lot of diverse channels, definitely head over to leadsrx.com because on leadsrx.com, you're going to see just how that technology is going to bring in all the marketing channels from traditional radio, TV, and all of the digital channels as well to really dial in what are the best programs, what are the best channels to help you do exactly what Pete's suggesting, tighten up on the things that aren't working and you know stick to that tried and true campaign and result that's really deriving that customer lifetime value so that you can get more out of your marketing and advertising spend. Thanks again to Pete for being on the show. This is the Attribution Marketing Podcast, signing off.